And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Go, man. Tear it up, dude. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. The San Francisco 49ers have vanquished their primary arch rival, the Dallas Cowboys. The most glamorous rivalry that there is in the NFL. Another chapter goes into the 49ers' favor. Two straight years, they've beaten the Cowboys in the playoffs. 19-12, to it was a rousing victory, Matt. It was a playoff-style victory. I mean, this is, the way I look at it, this was the 11th anniversary of the Kyle Williams fumble. So, we saw a big connection to the 49ers past yesterday when George Kittle gave the touchdown ball to Jerry Rice, right? And we, we talk all about the 49ers-Cowboys history, but... A lot of the 49ers' past is also filled with playoff heartbreak and gut-wrenching defeats in games just like the one that we saw yesterday against the Cowboys. Those games, though, typically happened against the New York Giants, right? So that's why I talked about the 11th anniversary of the two fumbles from Kyle Williams at Candlestick in the January 2012 NFC Championship game. But you could also go back to January 1991, 49ers going for the three-peat. Roger Craig fumbled, and they lost the game 15-13 to to the Giants. My point is that defensive bruising battles, the kinds that, that, that we had seen in the past in the playoffs of the 49ers, those generally haven't gone the 49ers' way in the postseason, especially when they've shot themselves in the foot with a bad fumble. And they did that yesterday. Ray-Ray McLeod fumbled that punt, and Dallas regained possession. But the difference in this game was that the 49ers were good enough to overcome that, and that's why I think this victory was so notable. The offense stayed composed with a rookie quarterback. The defense was otherworldly again. We'll talk about Fred Warner and uh, just some sensational plays. But the 49ers did what they had failed to do earlier in their franchise history, and that is win one of these postseason games when not everything went their way, right? I I know it doesn't all go your way in in every game, but this was one of those games that historically the 49ers had lost in the postseason, and they beat the Cowboys to advance to the NFC Championship in Philadelphia instead. Yeah, I mean, look how that second half began. I mean, the the, the 49ers have been an excellent, excellent second-half team. And uh, they begin the, the second half on Sunday by, by stopping the, the Cowboys on their possession and forcing a punt. And you're thinking, okay, this is, this is where the 49ers traditionally take control. Uh, and then they, they uh, fumble away that punt. And uh, I, I can guarantee you that everybody in that stadium was thinking, oh, gee, this has a different vibe to it. I don't know which way this game is going to go. I think they were winning 9-6 to six at that time. And all of a sudden, the Cowboys have momentum. They've got the ball on the 21-yard line. Um, you know, Dak Prescott has been, has been up and down, but he's gotten yards against this team. Uh, but um, the, the 49ers still were able to manage their kind of second-half heroics. They, they stopped the, the Cowboys on that drive, uh, fourth to field goal that ties the game at nine. 
And then the 49ers get a, a, a nice uh, return from Ray-Ray McLeod. I think they had to punt on that position. But um, on the next two possessions, that's when the game started to swing. And all the bells and whistles went out the door. There weren't any just uh, gorgeous throws down the sideline or long uh, outside runs by Christian McCaffrey. It was all kind of gritty between the tackle stuff and some some gritty throws too from Brock Purdy some tight window throws as you noted playoff type of throws and, and runs and uh, I, I thought that the 49ers had to be encouraged that they can win sort of that uh, uh, you know uh, struggle in the mud type of game um, you know one of the storylines going into the game was the 49ers hadn't played anybody good since the Chiefs and, and, the, and the Cowboys were the first good team that they played since mid-October. Uh, and uh, the 49ers were the better team in this one. I thought, you know, a, a, another storyline going into uh, the championship game is, did this game, was this game a good warm-up for playing the Philadelphia Eagles? And uh, is it a better warm-up than the Eagles got from the Giants? And uh, I would have to say it, it was. I mean, the 49ers had to play uh, championship-style football in order to win this one. Pretty much mistake-free football, the, the Ray Ray McLeod uh, fumble notwithstanding. But, you know, they didn't miss any extra points, didn't miss any field goals. Brock Purdy didn't uh, toss any uh, interceptions, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, that ended up being a big difference in this game. Massive, massive difference in this game where, you know, it was one of those slugfests where every single punch was felt. You know, you could feel it in the press box. You could feel it in the stands. It it was one of those, I call it a tractor pull. It's, it's those games where you're just fighting for field position, where yardage doesn't come for free. Uh, you know, a tug of war, arm wrestling match, whatever metaphor you want to apply, uh, definitely worked in this game. And the 49ers, you know, they, they started this game, I think, on the shorter end of the arm wrestling match. Dallas had them past that 90 degree angle in the Cowboys favor. But over time, the 49ers proved to be the physically stronger team. And I think that's what Kyle Shanahan anticipated in his game planning. He knew that the 49ers would have to nickel and dime Dallas into submission. And we really saw this game turn around halftime. I think when you saw Dallas's fatigue, remember they're playing with two fewer days of rest than the 49ers. So you saw that fatigue start to kick in. They lost Carlos Watkins, one of their starting defensive tackles in the first half. And I think that that started to catch up with them the second half. Several of the 49ers players in the trenches actually told me that they that they sensed, you know, weakness there. They sensed that, that Dallas might have been tiring out a little bit as this game went along because of that one injury. But to capitalize on, you know, what, what the 49ers did and to tilt the game into their favor, because remember, the Cowboys are maybe the best pass-rushing team in football. It's between them and Philadelphia, the 49ers' next opponent. So to, to tilt the game away from the ears pinned back pass-rushing mode of Dallas into running right at them and succeeding, and Dallas is not a bad run defense either. They're better than Philly, by the way. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But for the 49ers to, to move this game onto their terms 
it took patience, it took grittiness, it took execution of a full 60-minute plan. And ultimately, Matt, that 60-minute that plan was, was executed. The 49ers in the first half averaged 2.5 yards per carry. In the second half, it wasn't great, but it was 4.1 yards per carry. And it certainly shows you the progress the 49ers made. This was, you know, this game was a construction. They had to build it over a full 60 minutes. And at the end of those 60 minutes, they were upset 19 to 12 and headed to the NFC championship game. Yeah. You, you hear a lot of, uh, uh, I think Peyton Manning said this on the Manning cast the other night is that, um, you really don't uh, go into halftime and make adjustments. There are no adjustments being made. What the 49ers do is figure out, what the uh, what the opponent was doing and what was working for them. And so what you end up doing is, is kind of honing down your game plan to what you think is going to work. Uh, and so this is what Trent Williams was, was telling me. Trent Williams, by the way, uh, if you haven't read David's piece on the, on the daily or the weekly summit that Trent Williams and Nick Bosa have after games, this was... Uh, Sundays was the mother of all summits because it started at Williams Locker the way it always does. And then they went into the, the hot tub. And those guys were in the hot tub for what must have been 45 to 50 minutes. You know, they're supposed to be talking to the media at that point, And we're supposed to be starting our stories. But two of the main players on the, on the 49ers are, um, are kind of going over the game together uh, in towels in, in the hot tub room. Um, and when Trent Williams finally came out, that's what he told me is that, you know, the, the 49ers, uh, the, the Cowboys were doing such an excellent job, got such good talent at defensive end and at linebacker, outside linebacker with Micah Parsons, that all of their outside stuff just wasn't working. So the 49ers simply decided to, to, to go with what was working. And that was some of the, the gap stuff, some of the inside zones, uh, basically between the tackle stuff. And there wasn't a lot of room in there. Uh, you know, their, their longest gains were like, you know, uh, McCaffrey's longest run, I think, was like seven yards. Uh, but in that game, that was, uh, that was a gold mine. That was, uh, uh, that was exactly what they needed. So m- my point is that the 49ers began just kind of honing in on one or two types of runs that they knew that they could get some push. And I wonder whether Watkins' injury... Uh, influenced that as well. Um, and it, it was enough. I mean, it, it was an old school type of uh, uh, mentality and game plan. What it did was uh, led to some points, uh, 10 points, and it kept the ball out of the Cowboys' hands. I mean, the 49ers owned a huge stretch between uh, the end of the third quarter and the fourth. Uh, where they were kind of methodically picking up first downs. And like I said earlier, there were some, uh, you know, short Brock Purdy throws to, to Christian McCaffrey in particular, a couple to uh, Fred Warner as well uh, that were part of that. But it's uh, it was sort of the same mentality. Let's just uh, kind of squeeze it in there, grind out as many yards as we can, and hopefully by the, the end of the drives we'll have points and uh, – the, uh, the the Cowboys will just have uh, uh, only a little bit of time to make up the ground, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, that I mean, the 49ers executed it to a T. They 
They capitalized on those second half possessions. That 91-yard drive is what I wrote about because I thought it was the drive of George Kittle. You know, when you have a defense as good as the Dallas defense was, and they were not just good up front, right? They lead the league in pressure rate. By the way, we should probably talk a little bit about Philly, too, because of the the similarities and the differences and the challenges between this week and next week for the 49ers. But NFL pressure rates by team, number one, Dallas, 44%. They get pressure on 44% of snaps. Philly's number two at 40%. Philly's got a better sack rate, but Dallas is a better pressure rate. And analytics people will tell you that pressure rate's actually more indicative of, of pass rush quality than, than sack rate, because sack rate's very dependent on the opposing quarterback. But anyway, I, I, I digress. This Dallas defense, awesome with the pressure, but also really good on the back end. I mean, they're really fast on, on the back end. So it was it was causing the 49ers some trouble with throwing lanes and all this and all that. That 91-yard drive epitomized what the 49ers need to, to beat excellent defenses, and that's balance. And is there a player who better embodies balance than George Kittle because he's one of the best run blockers in the league at the tight end position, if not the best, right? He's awesome at that. But he's he was also beating cornerbacks on pass patterns yesterday. That first catch from George Kittle, that he burned a cornerback, Deron Bland. That's a cheat code to me, Matt, when you could have the best run blocker in football at the tight end position also beat a corner. I mean, Kittle's 250 pounds and he's outrunning an outside cornerback. We saw something similar on the other side of the football when Fred Warner covered C.D. Lamb. I mean, the 49ers just have this insane positional versatility on both sides of the ball. That makes them the most talented team in football. But um, anyway, you need that balance to beat an excellent defense. And Kittle delivered it on that drive obviously famously through the catch that took nine yards to make. He first touched the ball at the 39-yard line, and he finally secured it at the 48-yard line. So I called it the nine-yard catch. It was a 30-yard game. But that play really sparked the 49ers. Then Kittle drew the defensive holding that nullified the third down sack. And then Christian McCaffrey waltzed into the end zone, tossed the ball up in the air. Kittle called for the fair catch, made it, handed the ball to Jerry Rice. The rest was history. I I thought that was a beautiful connection between past and present when you're playing the Cowboys in the playoffs uh, of all teams. But that 91-yard drive, Matt, is going to go down in in 49ers lore. We're going to look back at this game, especially if they win the Super Bowl. But even if they don't, it's still 49ers-Cowboys in the playoffs. Uh, You could look back 30 years from now and talk about you know this epic defensive battle at Levi's Stadium and the 91-yard drive that ended up uh, being the difference in the 49ers' favor. Yeah, I mean, uh, Kittle epitomizes this offense uh, in the same way that Debo Samuel and, and Christian McCaffrey do, which, which is that he can, he can get you running the ball or, um, or catching it. I mean, and he's not usually doing the running, but he's doing the uh, – the run blocking. I mean, uh, it, it, it was Kittle. Kittle had a quiet day on the stat sheet against the Seahawks, but it was uh, anything but as far as run blocking. He and Kyle Juszczyk, uh, you know, were on the field delivering great blocks on all of the big explosive runs and plays that they had in that game. So um, it's a second straight great game for him. Uh, I, I really think that, you know, there was some hand-wringing about Kittle and his future and is he worth all this money that was at the beginning of the season when, when Kittle was not uh, at full health. Remember, he missed the first two games, and, and really it, it took him a while to, to kind of get back in his stride. But now that he is, you just see how 
valuable he is uh, on the field and then from an emotional standpoint too. I mean, he's really the engine um, the the heartbeat of this team in so many ways. I thought it was just, and he's always, uh, you know, he's got that kind of wrestler's persona. I don't know whether you caught this, but after McCaffrey's touchdown, McCaffrey just whips the ball into the air. I mean, I don't know, 40 feet into the air in celebration. <laughs> Kittle sees it and, and like runs under it and makes a kind of a shoestring catch and pretends that he caught a touchdown. I mean, here we are in the divisional playoff game, all this tension, and uh, you know, and, and, uh, George Kittle's doing some some shtick in the end zone. So I thought that was pretty funny and just kind of underscores exactly who he is. But yeah, it was a tremendous game for him, um, and um, they're going to need it against uh, uh, against the Eagles. And um, I think it just kind of shows you who the 49ers are. That, um, you know, they were leaning on Debo Samuel in the first half. I thought Debo Samuel had a really nice first half. I think the Cowboys decided, okay, we're not going to let Debo Samuel beat us for a second straight playoff game. And they began taking him out of the picture. What do you do when that happens? Well, you go to to somebody else. And, and the two guys that they really leaned on in the second half weren't McCaffrey and Samuel. They were uh, George Kittle and Elijah Mitchell who uh, ended up uh, leading this team in, in rushing yards. And we're talking about sort of gritty between the tackle, uh, you know, no room to run type of running. That's Elijah Mitchell's specialty. And uh, I thought that he showed up really well uh, in the second half of the game. Absolutely. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And the 49ers have that deep stable of running back talent, and Elijah Mitchell started bruising there in the second half. It was a very satisfying game for not only the 49ers offensive linemen, but for their running backs. I mean, teams love winning in this kind of fashion. You know, football players love winning in that kind of fashion because you really feel that you've earned something. And first thing, you know, I actually walked in on the meeting not the hot tub part of it, uh, <laughs> but uh, at, when the meeting was still at, 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 at the locker with Trent Williams and Nick Bosa, I, I just walked up and, and started talking to him. Because, you know, one thing was really cool before the game, Joey Bosa surprised Nick Bosa at the game. So Joey was there wearing a hooded sweatshirt that said squishy on it because the Bosa family called calls sacks squishies so they had they had, they had, they had custom made shirts with the hoodies that that's squishy on it so anyway the 49ers come out through the club uh, at the start of the game before pregame warm-ups and joey bosa was waiting there with cheryl who's who's uh, both joey and nick's mom uh, and, and Joey's girlfriend was there as well. It was waiting to, to greet Nick, and it was a huge surprise. And I was like, oh, my God, what a, what a moment. And I, so I started videotaping, and Nick is coming out in full uniform, has his helmet on, everything, and he sees Joey. And we know how locked in Nick is you know, during and before these games, right? Uh, I just saw Nick's eyes just light up in a way, you know, the, 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 the happy emotion in a way that I've never seen him you know, before when he's in that locked in state and he just gave Bowie, uh, he, Bowie, he just gave uh, Joey the biggest hug and it was just such a cool moment. Anyway, I got video of it. So I had to show Nick the video. So I walk up and uh, he and Trent Williams are sitting there talking. And, you know, the, the first thing that Nick says is that was one of the most awesome games I've ever been a part of. I absolutely loved every second of it. I mean, you could just tell that this guy lives for a bar fight like that. It just it, 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 Nick Nick Bosa doesn't like when the game is 50 to 48. Nick Bosa likes when it's 9 to 6, 16 to 12, 19 to 12. You know, he likes those weird score kind of games because to him that means that playoff football has arrived and the guys in the trenches relish that, right? And Williams and Bosa, they're two of the best players in the trenches in all football. And let's be honest, Matt, offensive and defensive line play is what's going to determine the Super Bowl. Whoever ends up standing on the mountaintop when this is all said and done, it's going to be because they they won the battles at the line of scrimmage. It's not the most glamorous thing to talk about, but it always is the truth. Even when, you know, you could go back to the Mahomes Super Bowls a couple years ago. Patrick Mahomes looked great against the 49ers because Kansas City ultimately won at the line of scrimmage, right? Mainly on the other side of the ball. His his defense beat the 49ers O-line. Well, the very next season, Patrick Mahomes looked terrible in the Super Bowl because his O-line had five backups and they totally caved in in front of him against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So the trenches are going to determine what happens moving forward. And I think that's why, you know, it's it's very prudent of us to 
frame a lot of this conversation around the meeting between Trent Williams and Nick Bosa uh, because what happened on both fronts against the Cowboys was extremely significant and was, I think, the biggest reason that the 49ers won the game. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the uh, the Kyle Williams fumbles in, uh, in the 2011 season, uh, 11 years ago, um, and, and that game was, was absolutely a trench warfare game. Low scoring, went into overtime, uh, there was there was rain. It, it was an ugly game, um, and uh, one that the 49ers were really well suited to win. I thought for all the world that they were going to win that one, and obviously the, the 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 two Kyle Williams fumbles put them um, put the Giants over the top. Uh, but yeah, this this game had a similar feel, um, and uh, you know the, the difference was that uh, the, it was the 49ers who. Uh, we're winning the turnover margin by game's end. And uh, the way that the defense played was, uh, you, know, um, you know, a couple of uh, lapses there. There was a long uh, throw to, to, to C.D. Lamb. There was a bad penalty by Dre Greenlaw. Uh, there were a couple times where they just couldn't get Dak Prescott on the ground, which I think is a really big deal considering who their upcoming opponent is. Uh, but even with that uh, that that giant uh, throw to, to C.D. Lamb, usually kind of a back-breaking type of play. I think they forced a punt uh, on that on that series. Uh, you know, they didn't, they didn't end up getting great field position because of it. But uh, they were able to recover from some of these things. And then the the uh, the, the Ray Ray McLeod fumble was another example. Oh, this is going to be the death blow. Uh, the, the Cowboys are going to go right into the end zone. They're going to take the lead. Uh, the momentum's going to turn. And uh, the 49ers held them there. And uh, the, the Cowboys only managed to tie the game. And then um, they couldn't do, they couldn't score again the, re- the rest of the, uh, of the contest. So uh, the 49ers held when they needed to. Wasn't perfect, wasn't dominant. I don't think Nick Bosa got any sacks. Uh, but. Uh, Boy, that uh, that front line was harassing Dak Prescott throughout the game and harassing him into some pretty remarkable mistakes as well. Yeah, I mean, and the 49ers got regular season Dak, who was not good this year. He, he had a 3.8% interception rate. We talked a lot about INT rates. And we, I mean, we were talking entering the season, Jimmy Garoppolo's interception rate of 2.7% on, on his career was too high, right? You want to be down at around 2%. That's that's the league average, I think, is 2.1, 2.2%. And we really glowed about Garoppolo this year because he got it down under 1%. He had an elite interception rate this year. Brock Purdy's also been really good. So the 49ers, I think, you know, the main impact uh, piece has been Christian McCaffrey spaced out the field has given quarterbacks an outlet and you know they're not forcing uh, passes into into uh, tight windows that that are not recommended to throw into but anyway that's just all comparison for the terrible body of work that Dak Prescott put out this year 3.8% interception rate and then you know everybody acted like a good game against Tampa Bay would just erase all of that he didn't throw any picks he was 25 of 33 against the Buccaneers but Prescott went right back to where he was during the regular season when he threw those 15 interceptions yesterday and only two in the box score right there was the the first one a diameter Lenore Lenore told me that uh on on tape he had noticed that 
Prescott threw high when he went to his number two receiver. So Lenore was ready to jump and he used all of his 40 inch vertical leap to go up and get that ball. Uh, and then the second one looked at like the pick at the stick to Navarro Bowman without the return. But Jimmy Ward tipped it. And uh, then you had Fred Warner make the catch. But there could have been two more really easily right in the second half, including a Dre Greenlaw pick six. But uh, Greenlaw couldn't hold on to it. So, I mean, we talk about the fact that the 49ers lead the league with 22 interceptions. They lead the league in turnover differential. And they had both of those things play out in their favor in a game where on paper it seemed that that might be possible, right? Because Dak Prescott had been an interception machine. And it was really key that he reverted back to that after a one-game hiatus against Tampa Bay. Yeah, I think the difference with Tampa Bay is that uh, he was really comfortable against Tampa Bay. Very little pressure that he was having to deal with. Uh, and so he wasn't put in any high-stress situations. And probably most quarterbacks are going to look good uh, in those uh, scenarios. And uh, that certainly wasn't the case uh, on Sunday. W- was the fourth one uh, another Diamador Lenore chance, I-, I think, to to Schultz maybe down the sideline? The fourth chance for an interception? Yes. And then there was also one that was a tip at, uh, I think, no, it, it was, this wouldn't have been Prescott's fault. Ezekiel Elliott bobbled it at the goal line and the ball oh, just right. popped up and had, I mean, for some reason, there was zero 49ers defenders in that area. I think on any other down just the way that you roll the you, you roll the dice uh there could have been somebody there it could have been a pick six but everybody was kind of congregated toward the middle of the field so um there the, the cowboys were playing with a lot of fire and they got burnt twice by the interception bug i was uh i was noting how the the game ended very similarly to how last year's game in, in dallas ended i mean the 49ers were in control late in the quarter um and forcing the the cowboys uh to go into a last-second drive with no timeouts. Um, last year's game was just inundated with mistakes and penalties, and uh, you know, giving the the Cowboys life after life. Um, this one, you know, they, they they shut the door very quickly. They, they were much more efficient. Um, I haven't looked up the the penalty disparity between the two teams, but I have a, a feeling that, like it was very one-sided uh, for. In, in favor of or uh, with with the Cowboys uh, having a lot more penalties than the 49ers. So it was a, a fairly clean game. The, the Dre Greenlaw uh, hit out of bounds. <laughs> every, every couple of games, uh, uh, Greenlaw seems to be uh, good for one of those. Um, but uh, other than that, it was, it was uh, a well-played, kind of smartly played game by the defense. Another really good reflection on D'Amico Ryans. And then uh, the, the play that I liked the most was the, the Jimmy Ward hit at the end. Uh, you could tell that the Cowboys were setting up for some sort of Stanford band type of scenario where they're going to do all sorts of shenanigans and, and pitches and laterals. And Jimmy Ward said, uh, no, not on my watch. He just planted that, uh, that uh, Cowboys receiver in, into the ground, like left no doubt. Like this was going to be the last play of the game no matter what. And uh, it was just a kind of a statement tackle. I thought that Jimmy Ward actually, Jimmy Ward and, and Fred Warner had the two best games of, uh, of the defensive players. Ward was uh, very solid, seemed to have his hand on the ball quite a bit. Uh, so uh, another uh, second straight really good game for him. How about Aziz Alshire on the play that you're talking about, Matt? They, for some reason, they decided it'd be a good idea to have Ezekiel Elliott snap the ball. 
uh, you know, now, now maybe people will understand why we talk about the 49ers offensive line and how they've kind of revamped it to be heavier and stronger anchoring and pass protection, right? We say, hey, you know, more agile, lighter guys, they may struggle against the bull rush. Okay, well, here's exhibit A. A, the the Cowboys obviously put a more agile, lighter guy at center on that last play and Ezekiel Elliott and Aziz Alshire just completely trampled him. It was, I mean, it, uh, I, I don't understand. Uh, th- th- that was the epitome of stupidity from the Cowboys. The center is ineligible. I guess they wanted an extra guy to be able to lateral to. That's why Ezekiel Elliott was in there. But guys, like you, you there's a reason you can't have a 200 and uh, he's no more than 220, 225 pounds, right? There's a reason you can't have a guy that light snapping the football because all you have to do is bull rush him and he's not going to be ready to plant his feet. And and Elliot ended up five or 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage after Al Shire was, was through with him. Um, and anyway, that play had no chance of working uh, regardless of who they had at center. I just thought it was kind of a symbolic ending. It was symbolic. I mean, I, I remember asking uh, Shanahan after that, that faithful play between the Raiders and the Patriots. I mean, how, how often do you guys uh, practice those, you know, last play of the game scenarios? And his answer was never. Uh, there's just not enough time in, in a day. I mean, you're practicing so many crucial plays that why would you burn time on a play that you might never use? So, I mean, you could tell that this was sort of uh, maybe dreamt up on the sideline, like a sort of like a, a, a basketball play being being sketched out quickly on a whiteboard somewhere. Uh, but, uh, yeah, those are all basically ad-libbed, and uh, that, that certainly had an <laughs> improvisational feel to it at the end of the game there. It's, it was a coronation for the 49ers defense. So let's look larger picture here uh, just to wrap up, Matt. You know, there was so much talk about the 49ers not having played anybody. Even though they had played teams, They to me it seemed they had wrecked some teams like the Dolphins earlier this year. The 49ers' strength of schedule – would look a lot better if the 49ers didn't play the teams on their schedule because you see that the teams they played all lost after they played the 49ers, right? So the 49ers actually hurt their own strength of schedule by beating teams physically so bad over the course of this year. But I kind of feel that 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 narrative was put to rest yesterday because Dallas was, I think, clearly a really good team. And the 49ers' defense, which, you know, there were questions about the quality of competition it faced, they deserved some time in the sun there, right, at the very end of the game. That that was their time in the sun or under the stadium lights, technically, to just lay Dallas out and end the game with an exclamation mark. Yeah, I, I thought that by the time that game started, the five best teams were still playing. I probably would include the Bills in there. I actually expected them to win against the Bengals, but we're down to uh, only good teams, really good teams are remaining now. And like I said earlier, I think that this was a really good warm-up for the Philadelphia Eagles because there are some similarities there in the Eagles. Boy, that offense is complete. Um, You talk about Schultz and and what he was able to do the last couple of games. Um, Dallas Goddard is better than Schultz. I mean, Dallas Goddard is probably the most Kittle-like I shouldn't say that. Hawkinson might be the most Kittle-like uh, tight end that's not in San Francisco. Um, Goddard's very good. They obviously have uh, two really good wideouts and A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. Um, you got a deep guy. You've got a good uh, sort of uh, slot type of receiver. You've got an excellent running back, and you've got an excellent quarterback. So, I mean, this is... 
this is the test. I mean, we, we talked about the Chiefs and what that Chiefs game meant to this team and uh, how the 49ers sort of woke up uh, with a, a, a cold bucket of water that the Chiefs delivered against them. This game coming up is going to be the most like the Chiefs, unless they actually play the Chiefs, uh, that the 49ers are going to have. So um, it's going to be a great challenge and uh, strength versus strength in this game. I'm sure we'll talk about it during the week. Uh, but uh, I thought, uh, bottom line, I thought that the Cowboys were a really, really good warm-up for what the 49ers are going to face in Philadelphia. Not going to be for the faint of heart, that's for sure. Uh, the the Eagles are good. They're good, but the run defense is sketchy. That's the one thing I'll say before we sign off right here because we're going to go off and, and discuss this game over the course of the week. The run defense is definitely the Achilles heel for Philadelphia. They have three losses this year, and in two of those three losses, they were completely dominated in time of possession. You could easily see the formula that Kyle Shanahan is going to try to go for in this game. He's going to try to exploit that that run defense, and if Philly stacks the box to try to make up for it, he's going to try to go big plays over the top. It's going to be uh, riding on Brock Purdy, and he's going to try to win the possession battle. If you win the possession battle, you shield the defense. And um, you know what? Philly hasn't been here before, and the 49ers have. The 49ers have been to three NFC championship games in in the past four seasons. So um, it's you know buckle up. Philly has the home field advantage. They have the rest advantage. Uh, but the 49ers have the experience advantage, and they may have the matchup advantage with that that run game. That's going to be – if they can dictate the flow of this game, there's a reason why the spread is only Philly minus three. You know, and you get you, there's a couple points that go for home field advantage. So it's going to be special. Philadelphia, San Francisco, in the city of brotherly love – on Sunday, NFC Championship game. 49ers beat their arch rivals, the Cowboys, 19 to 12. Muscle flexing performance for the 49ers, one that you will be talking about for a long time. That was another great chapter in what has been a legendary rivalry 49ers and the Cowboys. For Matt Barrows, this is David Lombardi. We'll talk to you next time on Here's the Catch.